The Hamlet Podcast, episode 180. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. We ended last time with the death of Laertes as he forgave Hamlet and asked for Hamlet's forgiveness in return. The die is cast now and Hamlet has seen just how quickly this poison works. It has killed Gertrude and Laertes and probably accelerated Claudius's death as well and it's running through his veins. Hamlet forgives Laertes too and speaks to Horatio. Heaven make thee free of it. I follow thee. I am dead, Horatio. Wretched queen, adieu. You that look pale and tremble at this chance, that are but mutes or audience to this act, had I but time, as this fell sergeant death is strict in his arrest, oh, I could tell you, but let it be. Horatio, I am dead. Thou livest. Report me and my cause aright to the unsatisfied. Hamlet hopes that Laertes has gone to heaven, and presumably he hopes that he will follow him there shortly. He also bids farewell to his mother, saying, Wretched Queen, adieu. I find this little address very moving. Hamlet understandably spends most of his play consumed with his own problems, but now he finds just a little bit of space to acknowledge that perhaps his mother wasn't terribly happy in her life, and certainly did not deserve her gruesome, painful death. I mentioned earlier that Hamlet is de facto king of Denmark, since Claudius is dead. The king is dead, long live the king, would be a terribly inappropriate thing to say given Hamlet's immediate circumstances, but it is important to bear this in mind. All of this has taken place in front of an audience, and indeed the doors were locked, so presumably nobody has gone anywhere since it all kicked off. Hamlet actually addresses his court now, or tries to. You that look pale and tremble at this chance, that are but mutes or audience to this act. Here again, Shakespeare has Hamlet blur the lines between performance and reality, using theatrical language to describe all of these people as an audience, mute onlookers who have not or could not intervene. Here we've seen a bloodbath that has left the childless and therefore heirless prince of the realm gasping their last breaths, and this would have been a risky thing to stage at the end of Elizabeth I's reign, so it's possible that the whole audience might have been pale and trembling by now. All the odds were pointing towards Hamlet's success in this fencing match, and yet here we are, faced with almost certain death. Hamlet knows it and acknowledges it. Had I but time, he says, oh, I could tell you, but of course they and we can never hear what it is that he might tell. As he describes it, this fell sergeant, Death, is strict in his arrest. This is quite a brilliant image. Physically, we can assume that Hamlet is starting really to feel the effects of the poison in his system, and so he has a sense of being stopped, being cut off in his speech, as if his prison warden has arrived to take him away to judgment. The saying, death is God's sergeant, was proverbial. Death goes and collects all souls and brings them then back before God. But cast your mind all the way back to Act One and Hamlet's father, 
who referred to his current location as his prison house. Neatly, brilliantly, Shakespeare gives us an echo of purgatory and of Hamlet's father's experience too. It's all on Hamlet's mind now. Is he going to see God in a few minutes? Is he going to hell or to purgatory? What happens next? With what can only be called amazing grace, he stops worrying and he says, but let it be. What else is there to do? He doesn't have time and likely he doesn't have the strength to give his big speech to the court. So instead he turns to Horatio again. And for the second time he says, Horatio, I am dead. Thou livest, report me and my cause aright to the unsatisfied. This is a fairly urgent request, of course. He's asking Horatio, who hasn't been cut or poisoned during this awful scene, to explain Hamlet's actions and what has happened in Elsinore. There are those who will want answers, the unsatisfied, and indeed Denmark will need a new ruler. Having spent the whole play being very stoic and responsive and a good friend, Horatio's answer is a little surprising. Never believe it, he says. I am more an antique Roman than a Dane. Here's yet some liquor left. Don't count on it, he's saying. He's reaching for the poisoned chalice, hoping for any last remaining drop of it to kill himself. We know that Hamlet is against suicide, or at the very least afraid of it. He told us earlier about how the Almighty fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. But Horatio, by contrast, considers himself more an antique Roman, an ancient Roman, than a Dane. In other words, he considers suicide a noble, even a heroic path. A certain curiosity towards suicide must still have been on Shakespeare's mind in the aftermath of having written Julius Caesar for the same company of actors, right before Hamlet. In Julius Caesar, Shakespeare made a tragic hero of Brutus, who led the conspiracy to assassinate the title character. He was known as the noblest Roman of them all, and his suicide is very much glorified at the end of that play. His collaborator Cassius likewise ends his own life when the final battle is clearly lost. But of all the play's characters, the one that is on my mind is Titinius, who is Cassius's friend and brother-in-arms. When he finds that Cassius has died, he reaches for the weapon that killed him and uses it to end his own life. Now, I know it's all conjecture and I know it's impossible to prove, but I have to say that I really love the idea that the actor who played Titinius did it so well in Julius Caesar that he got a bit of an upgrade to a slightly bigger part in Hamlet, and it may just be that he played the role of Horatio. As such, this moment, when the character of his best friend is dying, is all the more poignant for an audience who already saw the same actor play the role of the companion in death. Horatio, more an antique Roman than a Dane, would, of course, try to accompany Hamlet. There is a little poison left in the cup, but Hamlet is adamant that he must not do this. As thou art a man, give me the cup. Let go, by heaven, I'll have it. Oh, good Horatio, what a wounded name things standing thus unknown shall leave behind me. If thou didst ever hold me in thy heart, absent thee from felicity a while, and in this harsh world draw thy breath in pain to tell my story.
There's room within these lines for a bit of a scuffle, Hamlet using whatever bit of energy he has left to knock the cup from Horatio's hands or grab it or even drink the poison that's in it himself. Give me the cup, by heaven I'll have it, and so on. Hamlet is concerned that he will leave a wounded name behind him. He shares his name with his father, remember, and their reputation will be damaged by this shocking sequence of events at Elsinore. He asks Horatio, with what must nearly be his dying breath, to hold off. Absent thee from felicity a while, he says. Stay away from heaven and that happiness, for now, at least long enough to stay in this world, harsh as it is, to tell my story. Hamlet really is concerned about getting the truth out. He doesn't seem too worried about the Almighty's views on suicide, mind you, when they apply to Horatio. It's more pressing that he stay alive long enough to set the record straight, even if every breath he takes is a painful one. It's quite an extraordinary thing to ask an actor to explore and then inhabit for us on stage, these moments right before certain death. There's no hope of an antidote, and there's no hope of a miracle either. This earnest and sincere request might be the perfect way to end Hamlet's life. But Shakespeare does not leave the world in chaos at the end of this play. All of a sudden there's cannon fire outside, or maybe gunshots. It's a startling surprise after this tender scene between our two friends. In the middle of what was almost a beautiful death scene, Hamlet is now forced to ask, what warlike noise is this? But we will save the answer for the next episode. I hope you're going to join me for the final two episodes of the Hamlet podcast. Some new listeners have been in touch just this week and have set themselves the amazing challenge of listening to the entire podcast before we reach the end of the play in just two weeks' time. I'm delighted to have your company and I hope you can pull it off. No prizes for guessing that there will be a heartbreaking death in the next episode. I really can't delay it any longer. So be sure to have the Kleenex ready and I'll speak to you next time.